Good morning to each of you. This is the day the Lord has made. We choose to rejoice in it. And Paul, can I ask that whoever needs to do the lights will do the lights because what I'm going to show on the on the projector is going to be difficult for maybe some of you to see. But um, Mike referenced. Am I ringing? That sounds like a ringing, but Mike referenced the nation, the direction our nation is going. Um, and obviously what we hear on the news isn't even close to what's in reality happening, even in our community and your homes. And Amy mentioned the conflict or the Satanists, the uh, spiritual warfare that's going on in this team going to Australia. Um, I want to ask a ton of questions this morning. But I want to start out, the direction our country is going, are you and I a part of the problem or are we part of the solution? I would ask each of us this morning to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith, to test ourselves, and we're going to do that. But to do that, we have to put ourselves in front of a mirror. And this has to be the mirror. Are we part of the problem or are we part of the solution? Um, Paul, would you go ahead and let's go just to start that um, that slide projection? I want to end. Excuse me. I want to start where we ended with what we ended last week. Last week we sang a song, Seven Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, and before we get into the verse, I want to talk to you because there's two two different kinds of people here this morning. There's the lost and there's the born again. Those of you who are lost, I want to ask you why do you choose to reject God, to reject the, the gift of salvation, and I want to say the free gift of salvation, but it's really not free at all. Because it's going to cost you everything. Without exception, it's going to cost you everything. But why do you reject it? Both John the Baptist and Jesus, after Jesus was baptized and he was tempted by Satan and came in, they both started their ministries with one word, repent. This nation is going to hell in a handbasket because my people. And God, this, and I, I don't have the time to go in the background of this verse, but the principle is over and over and over repeated in Scripture that if my people will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, this is my people turning from wicked ways. And I'm going to challenge us this morning to turn from our wicked ways. I'm talking to the lost, and I'm talking to the remnant that is sitting here this morning. Because there is a remnant here. God's Word says that in His dispensation of grace that there is a remnant here this morning. And I want to challenge you remnant to come out from among them and be separate. This world has to see a Christianity that is real, that is genuine, that's powerful. We don't, we can't have a form of godliness that denies the power of God. We can't do it. We confuse 
the world. We confuse our youth if they don't see the genuine, powerful, living, dynamic, life-changing power of God's Word if we won't live it. So I want to challenge you to come out. First, excuse me, Second Corinthians thirteen five challenges us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Will you and I do that this morning? To examine ourselves to see if we're in, and what's that word in mean? To see if we're living. And by the way, Mike makes reference of this playing the church thing. I want to ask you, church, I want to ask you, remnant. I want to ask you, E-free. Why is it that we send kids off to conferences and seminars and, and, um, and gatherings and we get them on fire and we get them quote-unquote saved? Why do we send mission trips off and they get all fired up? Randy, right? We got all fired up. Why do they come back to the church and lose that fire? Let's ask some really hard questions here this morning, Remnant. Why do these, why do we send these kids off? They come back to the church and lose the fire. Isn't the church all about kindling a fire? And then going out and being light and salt? We've got a problem, church. And when I say church, I'm using it a small c. And I'm talking in the generic church throughout this, throughout the world. But E-Free is a part of that conglomerate. And it's a part of the problem. So would, would you, and by the way, when I, when it, when the scripture says examine yourself to see if you're in the faith, what's the faith? And this is where I want to do some clarification this morning. This is the faith that God wants us to examine ourselves to see if we're in. It can't be any other faith. Paul is very adamant about if we choose to preach a different gospel, let us be accursed. And I told my wife this morning, and, and John, you'll appreciate By the way, John Williams built this. And Gary, can I say, dedicated it to to say that we're only going to preach the gospel from this pulpit. And that's why, by the way, I'm standing up here and sitting down there, because as Dave Cruz said last week, I do not deserve to stand up here. I am, There's no way in the world that I'm worthy to stand up here. But I want the gospel to be preached loud and clear from this pulpit, and that there be no ambiguity, there be no question as to what the gospel that we're examining ourselves to see if we're in is all about. Okay, and it says to test ourselves. All of us are familiar with testing. Kids get tested every day. I used to be a teacher. I gave thousands of tests. I remember standing, staying up many, many, many hours grading those tests. Every job you take, you take a test. Those of you did, you take a test. I imagine if you go to Central Boiler, you take a test. When you go into military, you take a test to see what you're capable of doing. Testing is part of life. Let's test ourselves this morning. 
Am I in the faith? And let's just start with a few questions. And by the way, I'm going to have to do 20 questions, and I'll see if I can get through all of them. The five points apiece, most of these are yes or no. That's not difficult to answer, but just ask yourself. Do I intentionally and by design die to self and carry my cross daily? I don't have time to read the references. Um, I, you're welcome to get those from me after. And if you can't see this, please try to listen. I do apologize for the small print. But do I intentionally, yes or no, do I intentionally every day get up and say, how am I going to die to myself today and carry my cross intentionally and by design? Do I do it? Yes or no? As a born-again believer, do I bear fruit? And the references there, especially James, if you are not bearing fruit, do you know that you have a dead faith? James says, faith without works is dead. In that reference to James, four times he alludes to or directly says, faith without works is dead. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't claim to be a Christian following Christ and not bear fruit. It it can't happen. Am I bearing fruit as a Christian, yes or no? Do I attempt to glorify God in everything I do? My grandkids will appreciate this. I see you young people, Keely. I see you basketball players. I see my grandkids smiling. I ask them, when they play basketball, when they play volleyball, when they play softball, to do it to the glory of God. If we don't, as believers, if we don't do anything and everything to the glory of God, why do we do it? Seriously, please ask yourself. We're we're examining ourselves to see if we're in the faith. When you became a born-again believer, remnant, old things passed away, behold, all things became new. It is no longer I who live, but Jesus Christ who lives in me. It's not about me anymore this morning. It's all about Jesus Christ. So, when you kids play basketball, when you play volleyball, when you play softball, when you do your academics... Do you do it with glory of God? If you're not, you're sinning. Because you're doing it for selfish. You're doing it to please men. Whatever I do, do it to the glory of God. Am I? Am I? Yes or no? Do I attempt to rejoice always? Pray without ceasing. I don't have time to go into detail on all these, but do I? Do I worry about anything? Mike talked, brought up the cares of this world, the difficulties, the things. Do I worry about? Because Scripture says, don't worry about anything. He'll take care of us. Am I diligent about studying God's Word, God's living Word, which is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword? Am I diligent to not just read it, but to study it? And I could take this one further. Am I diligent about applying it to my life? I'm going to get into it later because Paul, excuse me, uh, James very clearly says be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Do you realize that you and I can deceive ourselves by hearing and hearing and hearing and not doing anything with it? We can deceive ourselves. 
Am I diligent to study God's Word and apply it? Number six, am I diligent to abstain from every form of evil? Can I offer the suggestion of television? Am I diligent to abstain from every form of evil? What I bring into my home through my television, do I allow any of any evil to come through into that, into that? My internet access, my social media access, do I abstain from all forms of evil? Am I diligent to do that? Number seven, am I diligent to apply and obey Jesus' commandments? He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? He says that only those who obey the wills, the Father of, the will of the Father will enter heaven. Am I diligent to obey? Number eight, am I bogged down with the cares of this world? Wow. Am I so busy with the cares of this world that I don't have time to do what I know I should do as a Christian? How many times do you hear people say, I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to do this or to do that. Well, sorry, but every one of us have the same amount of time. We all have all the time we need to do what God wants us to do because He'll never, ever take us in to any place that he won't extend the grace to make it and go through that. Am I diligent? Do I exercise my faith? Bodily exercise, Paul tells Timothy, bodily exercise profits a little bit, but godliness is profitable, and he tells and encourages him to exercise himself toward godliness. Do you and I exercise ourselves, exercise our faith, and I'll give you a perfect example. The Bible says to pray without ceasing, which is going to be one of our questions. Do you pray without ceasing? Well, you can't do that unless you exercise. Just like you athletes, you don't get better unless you exercise. Your faith is the same uh, process. You have to exercise. Do you exercise your faith intentionally and by design? Do I worry about anything? Number 11. Am I lukewarm in the living of my faith? Am I lukewarm? I once asked a Sunday school class to evaluate their faith and were they hot, cold, or lukewarm. And I, the percentage of those who said they were lukewarm was sad. Are you, am I, lukewarm in our faith? Yes or no? And by the way, what are the consequences of having a lukewarm faith? Jesus says, I will spew you out of my mouth. Number 12, do I attempt to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ? We talked this morning in Sunday school class. We're losing our reasoning ability in America because in 62, 63, we took God and his word out of public education. And so our kids are not taught to reason from the scriptures. The only way you and I are going to be able to take captive every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ is not by just reading this and not just by studying it, not just by meditating on it, but applying it, living it. Do I attempt 
to bring every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Do I, number 13, do I intentionally and by design pursue holiness? The Bible says, without which no one will see God. Am I diligent to pursue holiness? Number 14, do I intentionally and by design attempt not to be conformed to this world, but have my mind renewed? Do I intentionally and by design attempt to get my mind renewed so that I'm not conformed to this world? Do I look like the world? Is there a difference between me as a born-again believer and Dan Youngstrand as an an unbeliever? Am I different? Am I called out? Am I separate? Those of you who know me, am I different? Number 14. Excuse me, number 15. Do I attempt to set nothing worthless before my eyes? Do I attempt to set nothing worthless before my eyes? How are we doing on this test? Yes or no? Number 16. Do I intention, excuse me. Number 16. Do I intentionally attempt to set aside every weight and the sin that ensnares me to run with endurance the race that is set before me. Do I intention to do that? Do I intentionally and by design set aside every weight and not just the sin? Do you realize that? Every weight and the sin. There are a lot of things that we do that are not sin, but that are unnecessary and that bog us down from running this race with endurance. I'll just use the example of television. The Bible says there's nothing evil within itself. Television is not evil. But we can make it, un- it's unnecessary. What does it do to further the kingdom of God in your life and in your family's life? And dads, two weeks ago, I could be wrong, but I think every single dad and every single grandfather stood up saying that they would be a man of God in his home and in this community. Since that time, dads, have any of us sat our families down and taught them the Word of God. Number 17, am I in control of my life? And this is not a yes or no, this is a Jesus or me. Am I in control of my life or Jesus? Am I in control of my life or is Jesus? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. Do I treat my body as the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do I treat my body as the temple of the Holy Spirit? The Bible says this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do I walk and live by the flesh or the Spirit? You know whether you do. And if you don't understand what it means to walk by the Spirit... Please come see me. Please come see someone who understands what it means to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. If you walk by the flesh, you pursue the things of the flesh, and the flesh is the things of this world, the pleasures of this world. But if you walk by the Spirit, you do life God's way. You walk down that straight and narrow and difficult path. Number 20, am I enduring by grace in living the life, all of it, God's way? 
And I, and I reference all the Bible because all the Bible tells us how to endure, how to live life God's way. Am I doing that intentionally and by design? And you know, one reason I believe that we send kids off and we go out on these mission things, we come back and we lose the fire. I think it's because we don't live life God's way. I think we live compartmentalized lives. I think we take, we bring God, we, can I say we welcome God when we come in these doors, we praise, we walk out of these doors and we leave God here and we go do our own thing. Nobody knows that we're a Christian. Nobody knows that He is the most important thing in our lives. No one knows that He monopolizes every cell that operates in this body. All they know is that we look just like them. Am I doing life God's way intentionally? It's hard. But boy, is the joy there. Is the joy there. Paul, would you get there? Thank you. People become what they learn and what they're taught. And by the way, this is true in all the world. Why do Muslims grow up Muslim? Why do Hindus grow up Hindu? Why do um, Buddhists grow up Buddhist? Because people, learn, people become what they learn and what they're taught. What are we teaching the young people in this church? I'm going to tell you young people right now, I apologize. My generation has immeasurably, miserably failed you. And presenting before you a gospel that honors God. We have so watered down and polluted the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I apologize. But I will say this, young people, that is absolutely no excuse for you to not live a godly life. I challenge you, young person, to maybe at this point in your life, maybe make First Timothy 4.9 a life verse. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example in word, in purity, speech, in conduct. And by the way, do any of you know who they're supposed to be a, uh, an example to? Those of you know that verse. But be an example to whom? To believers, you young people, if you are born again, you are be, to be an example to me. I call myself a believer. You're to be an example to me in conduct and speech and word and faith. So please don't use an excuse that I wasn't taught. Every one of you have multiple options or opportunities to, to see and be, see God's word. I've titled this message today, Fact or Fiction. Is your faith based on fact or is it based on fiction? And I'm going to say some hard things in the next few minutes. This is fact. Anything that is not in this is fiction. Miles, me, Brandon, Mike, we're not the determinant of Christianity. This is. This church is not the determinant. Of Christianity, this is. This alone is the standard. In fact, we say this when we dedicate babies, that this is the standard of our faith. What are some traditions, traditional beliefs, that make of the Word of God of no effect? In Matthew 
15, 16. And the, the background real quickly is the Pharisees. The Pharisees come to Jesus and said, how come your disciples don't wash their hands like we do? And Jesus says, you hypocrites. You make the word of no effect through your traditions. Shame on you. How many traditions does the church practice that make the word of God no effect? And I'm going to talk about one. I'm going to talk, well, I'm going to talk about a few. Salvation is gained by saying a sinner's prayer. I'm sorry, that is not in Scripture. And if you don't know what the sinner's prayer is, talk to me about it. But if you did, and by the way, I was told to say the sinner's prayer when I was a kid. I was told I was saved. I was told I spoke in tongues. I was no more saved than a, than a goose. Salvation is not gained by saying a sinner's prayer. Salvation is gained by asking Jesus into your heart. That is not in here, ladies and gentlemen. Salvation is not gained by asking Jesus into your heart. These are some traditions that have been passed down through the, de- through the decades that caused the church... By the way, making the Word of God no effect, by saying the sinner's prayer or asking Jesus into your heart, do you realize that you're the author of salvation if you do that? You said it, you did it, so you got salvation. We don't need God. We don't need the Word of God if you're now saved for eternity because you did something. It makes it of no effect. You don't need this anymore. Salvation is gained by going to church, becoming a church member, being religious, doing good works. Again, there's no need for this if going to church and being a church member equates with salvation. Going to church no more makes you a Christian than being a... Who is it? I don't know who it says this. It says then uh, being in a garage makes you a car. Salvation is gained by believing in Jesus only. Wow. That's not true. You can't be a Christian just... And by the way, first John, I mean, John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Is that true? Absolutely. It's here. But where do so many of Christianity... Take that. They leave it here. Because James tells us that even the demons believe and tremble. Demons are not going to heaven. So just because you may believe that there is a Jesus, you are not saved. You are not born again. But I'm sorry, the church teaches this in so many, many meetings. Salvation is gained by being baptized and dedicated as an infant. I'm sorry, it's not in Scripture. There's not one single um, reference to being baptized unless and until you have repented of your sins. Eternal life with God is guaranteed. This is a powerful one. This is a traditional belief that is not scriptural. Eternal life is guaranteed at the point of believing in Jesus. And I don't have time to go into it. But I would, I, come see me. I have tons and tons of references. But I'll just use one. Luke chapter 8 talks about the parable of the soils. And Jesus explains the parable of soils. And the third soil, he talks about, they believed for a while. 
but because of they got so involved in the cares of this world that they quit believing. Whichever of you, Jesus, this is Jesus talking, for whoever of you who does not forsake it all, forsake all cannot be my disciple. And we are told that in the end times, many will fall away from their faith. Some will depart from their faith. He who endures to the end will be saved. If you're saved at the point of saying a sinner's prayer, there's no need for endurance. There's no need for this. It makes it of no effect. It's a tradition that we've got to come out of and expose as not true. Eternal life. Have I got, I think I have another one. Eternal life with God is possible without living life God's way. Just real quickly, it can't be done. If you can live life without doing it this way and be saved, then you've got a different gospel than this. This is the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, Jesus said. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say, he says. No one will see God unless he does the will of God, he says. We have to do life God's way. Obedience, bearing fruit to God, is is not necessary to being a Christian or spending eternity with God. I have been told that some of the things I do is works by salvation. I'm not talking about works with salvation. My salvation is by grace alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But Ephesians 2, 10 says, I was created for good works. I was born again for good works. We've got to get away from this concept that we can live life without good works, without bearing fruit. Again, James says, faith without works is dead. Number three, Christians can be lukewarm in their faith. If you believe that, you are not doing life God's way. The grace of God dismisses and supplants God's justice and wrath. We're in a dispensation where... The grace of God is paramount. It's all about grace. And it's gotten to the point where there is no hell. I mean, God's so graceful, everybody's going to go to heaven. It's not true. It's not biblical. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. The church denomination defines, interprets, the definition, and practices Christianity. That's what I said earlier. There are churches that say, unless you do it our way, you won't go to heaven. That is not scriptural. The only thing that you have to do right is, is Jesus' way. There's no other way. Application of scripture commands is optional. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one we have really, really, really missed in Christendom today. Do you realize the church does not hold you and I accountable to anything it preaches up here? I'm talking about the church at large. 
Alan Zach last week said, if you want to die in your faith, you have to live your faith. The church doesn't hold us accountable to living our faith. It preaches the truth, but there's no accountability. And you know what I'm talking about. No one holds you accountable to doing life God's way. It's preached, but there's no accountability. To application. Just let me use an example. We preach, forgive other people. Well, the scripture says if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. I promise you, some of you struggle with forgiveness right here in this, this morning. And the scripture says if you won't forgive, you will not be forgiven. Modesty, and I, this is going to really get some of you. I'm going to say it like it is. Why is it that in today's Christendom, in the church, women dress like prostitutes? Why? I'm asking us to put ourselves in front of a mirror because God says women dressed in all modesty, but yet we look just like prostitutes. You know what I'm talking about. You know it. And yet, we're told to live separate. Come out and be separate. Women, in your dress, will you not choose to come out from among them and look different than our society, which says, show more and more and more and more and more. Be alluring. Be sexy. I, when I was a teacher at a Christian school, we had a girl that was always wearing provocative clothing and we were we asked her parents how come well I want my daughter to look sexy Christian mom supposedly Christian mom sexy is not for a Christian young lady until she gets married and is in the bedroom of her husband do not be deceived We'll sow what we we'll reap what we sow. Let me end by asking those of you who are remnant this morning, come out from among them. Sell yourself to the gospel. Hook, line, and sinker. Leave nothing. Jesus gave, God gave everything, and he expects nothing less from you and me. He has to be our Lifeblood. He has to be the passion of when we get up in tomorrow morning, Monday, going to work. He has to be the passion for why we do what we do. He, we have to attempt to glorify Him in everything. And you who are remnant this morning, you know that what this says is the only way to get to heaven. And you know this defines Christianity, not the church. Father, I just pray that you will have accomplished your perfect will this morning, that your word will reign supreme. supreme. Lord, that it will invade our lives, change our lives, give us the ability to reason, to bring every thought captive to the obedience of you. Lord, may it all be about you for the rest of our lives. Lord, I pray the remnant this morning will come out from among them and be separate to be the brightest light, the saltiest salt. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Before I forget...
If you are a remnant and you would take up the challenge to come out from among them and be separate, please come see me. Make arrangements to do some mentoring. I may not be the mentor, but I'll get you with a mentor. That's another aspect of the church that is failing miserably is mentorship. But please come see me. God bless you.